Hey, this is James Stevenson from The Alarm. And you are listening to The New Wave Podcast. Welcome back to the New Wave Music Podcast. As always, this is Steve. Hey, Steve, and this is T-Bone. And then we'd also like to thank our listeners in Lima, Peru. We really do appreciate everybody out there tuning in to us. Well, T-Bone, let's go ahead and get this episode started. I'm really thrilled. We're going to kick it off as our usual with a review. We will be joined later on in this episode by the man himself, Mr. Ian McNabb. Those of you that need a refresher with for who Ian McNabb is, he, of course, was the front man from the band the Icicle Works who no doubt you're going to remember their song, Whisper to a Scream. Evangeline. And he also has a ton of solo material. One song you may stand out is If Love Was Like Guitars. Yeah, so this album is called Nabby Road. It's his most recent. It came out last year, 2022. This is his 15th studio album as a solo artist, Steve. And and as you can expect, it was recorded during the pandemic. Ian has been incredibly busy in the 2000s with 11 of those 15 albums. Wow. Yeah, he is prolific. So on this album, we have Ian McNabb on vocals, guitar, and bass. Roy Corkill on bass. Nick Kilrow on drums, Bobby Billsborough on sax, Kate O'Brien on strings, and leading up the, the pack, Kieran Bell on piano, percussions, keyboards, and sound effects. Well, T-Bone, I'm really excited to jump into Navi Road here. Let's go ahead and do that. It opens with the first track, Sausalito. track is bold and beautiful but yet also sets the tone on what's to come of this on this album and t-bone rather than myself jumping into what this song is all about ian did a great job on shedding light onto this track and how it even ties full circle back into the icicle works so stay tuned for that interview yeah, you know, Steve, I found that found this to be just a, an absolutely stunning way to open the album. I mean, doing a full-length instrumental for the first track is an inspired choice. The track begins with ocean waves and seagulls, moves into some stirring piano and a mid-tempo drum beat, and before long, an amazing guitar line comes in to complete the picture. For me, it was mesmerizing and effective in every way possible. 
The second track on the album is called Holy. the acoustic guitar melody that kicks off this track. Ian McNabb's vocals are on point and sound terrific. I really enjoyed the layering that comes in as well. You get a nice blend of percussions and a bit of electric guitars that come in about halfway into this track that make it just pure joy to listen to. You know, we could not agree more on this one, Steve. Um, you know, it begins actually with dual acoustic guitars. You have one acoustic guitar doing a certain line, and you have another acoustic guitar complementing that one. And also, Ian's voice makes their appearance on this second track, and they could not sound better. He has such a strong and commanding presence. Uh, once the drums and the bass are introduced, it really completes the picture. Just like you mentioned, it's this layering effect. And, uh, you know, this song builds from that opener just like a little bit faster pace, and it really works wonderfully and by the time that sax comes in everything seems complete I forgot about the sax. You're right. It does tie it all together. It really does, you know, and and yeah, again, you know, you mentioned layering. This track is just a perfect example of that where we have some instruments come in and then over time more are introduced mm -hmm. and it really is quite beautiful. Move on to track number three, Steal Away. This song kicks off with a great tempo. This one does feature electric guitars kind of blending into Ian McNabb's vocals. While T-Bone, I would say this is a good track, I'm going to say this is probably my least favorite on the album, and maybe just wasn't up to the rest of how I feel about the rest of the album. And we agreed completely on the last song. This one we're going to disagree then. This is actually the first of many favorite songs I have on this album. The tempo builds up as we move on to this track. This is a straight out rock and roll song that has amazing toe tapping beat to go along with fantastic bass and strong guitar work. Ian uses a little bit more grungy vocal style here, and it's just right. And Steve, as you often say on our reviews, three songs in, and I'm already sold on this album. And that takes us up to the fourth track, The Sun Came Out at Night. Took me to her secrets Took me to her tears Took me to her garden Took me to her And the sun came out at night. Ian slows down the pace just a little bit and introduces strings on this track. The acoustic guitar is played to perfection, and the way that Ian sings about lost love in this song is completely convincing. It's both passionate and somewhat tragic at the same time, but for me, it's those strings that are the highlight. They really create an impeccable mood. I love the use of strings that you mentioned. They accompany this acoustic guitar track perfectly. This track is an absolute highlight for me. 
And to me, T-Bone, this is where I feel like the album's going to start to be like a starting point of the album where Ian McNabb really gets to shine as a lyricist and a vocalist and just as an all-out talented musician. You're not only going to hear that on this song, but pretty much from the tracks that are going to follow going forward. And that'll lead us up to the fifth track, Film Noir Star. Now, this is an exceptionally clever track. For those that are unfamiliar with film noir, just briefly, it was a film style that was introduced after World War II. It often dealt with darker motives and characters where no one was a good guy. It had femme fatales and often was in black and white. And Ian keeps that pace fairly slow, but considering the subject matter, it really works perfectly. Midway in, though, a stronger beat comes in with a forceful bass line, and it takes this very good song to an entirely different level. As a film lover, I absolutely adored all the film references he used from Richard Widmark to Lauren Bacall. And Sax closes the latter, latter part of the song and creates an amazing mood. Steve? I absolutely love the line. I could have been a film noir star, rainy streets at night, black and white. How this track opens with the use of that rainstorm was a great way to set the mood or tone for this beautiful song. This is another outstanding track. I loved everything on this song from the lyrics to, to Ian's vocals to the lovely music melody. I can't say this enough. I highly recommend this track. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't mention it when I started there, but this is yet another one of my absolute favorite tracks from this album. There, there are a number of them. Move on to track number six, Amazing. opening guitar melody will pull you in from the get-go. This is another track that I thoroughly enjoyed, from the tempo to the melody to the lyrics, and of course Ian McNabb's vocals make this track one that I really enjoyed. You know, funny enough, another one of my favorite songs on this album is so good. Guitar, bass, and drums open this track, and they all sound so good together, but it's when Ian comes in exclaiming, amazing, it takes the song to new heights. Plus, it's a very fun and clever song about the hopes of finding extraterrestrial life out in space. Really unique and unexpected, I think, from Ian. Uh, This is another toe tapper that will have you singing along joyfully. Let's see how track number seven stacks up. Love Bombing. I forgot to mention so far, T-Bone, is how every track on this album has a unique style all its own. Oh, definitely. Love Bombing is no exception. From the use of synth to a great bass line and catchy lyrics, this is another song that's going to be stuck in your head 
and have you humming along. Well, I could not agree more. Um, here we have a fantastic love song that is so full of elation and charm that it's almost easy to overlook the wonderful instrumentation. And I fully believe Ian when he says, love is the way to be free. Uh, it has a great, nice guitar solo that doesn't overwhelm the song. It comes in midway through. And I, Steve, I don't know if you noticed it, but I completely enjoyed Kieran's cool sound effects mixed in. They are just right, never overpowering the vocals in the instruments. Uh, another wonderful song. And that's going to lead us up to one of my absolute favorite songs on this album. Number eight, Guest List. Well, I went down to the gig last night. My blood was up and the mood was right. Now I sure wanted to catch that show. But the goon on the door said no flow. Goon on the door said no. Got a bug out of bucks, but you ain't. Steve, this is just over two minutes of absolute rock perfection. Ian's guitar work, a sort of rockabilly refrain, is as much a show of his talents as it's just fun to listen to. I seriously wanted this song to go on far longer. Like I say, it's just over two minutes. And you cannot go wrong with lyrics such as, Buy one, steal one, tickle my belly, you ain't getting in for free. T-Bone, the last thing I would expect to hear on this album so far is a rockabilly tempo song. But guest list is an absolute gem on this tra- on this Absolutely. album. Unexpected, out of left field. Uh, it's full of witty lyrics, and Ian McNabb's vocals make this just an absolute hi- album highlight again. Oh, it is just that good. Move on to track number nine, Gentlemen Dress for Dinner. Gentlemen Dress for Dinner Again, Ian McNabb switches the gear and moves to a slower tempo for this song. The use of softer vocals and just the right mix of percussions and guitar make this a very smooth song. And yet, surprising, it's another one that I'd recommend. Oh, I I not think that's surprising whatsoever. This album is full of great surprises. You know, here we see the unabashed romantic side of Ian. It's a song about the right way for a man to treat a woman. I'm not sure if it was guitars or keyboards in the background, but they have that wah-wah sound that really adds Mm -hmm. a, a wonderful touch to this beautiful song. And that's going to finish things up with number 10, Start Again. What's been This is a fantastic closer that begins with strong guitars and the bass line is to perfection. But above all, Steve, I I think Ian ends this album with some of the best vocals that we've heard so far. He's very commanding and I love the way that he pauses before he sings the song title. It really works. Yeah, we end the album with just a great rock song. 
Again, Ian McNabb's vocals deliver some great lyrics, accompanied by solid use of percussions, guitars, just make this track shine. T-Bone, this is one of those songs, though, that just was not long enough. It kind of just ends, and you and you want it to keep on going. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So, you know, let me just get this out of the way. I'm in love with this album. The musicianship is as good as it gets, and Ian's vocals are as great as ever. There really is not a bad track on this amazing album, and that isn't something that I've said on many recordings that we reviewed. And from what I learned from listening to this album was I haven't been following Ian McNabb as much as I should have. I really enjoyed the journey that this album took me on. It's one that fans of Ian McNabb's will absolutely love, and they probably already have this, or it's on their radar to pick up. Those of you that only know Ian McNabb from his days with the Icicle Works, I think you'd still thoroughly enjoy this album, and I'd highly recommend picking this up. This this album, T-Bone, like you, I'm giving this one a high recommendation. This is going to sound a little repetitive, but I cannot recommend this album more highly. And and let me just say, don't stop with this album. His work post-Icicle Works has consistently been top-notch. I think our listeners have heard us ramble on about the review long enough. Yeah, sounds great, Steve. So let's go ahead and turn it over to you, and we'll have a little talk with the man himself, Ian McNabb. Uh, Joining us today on the New Wave Music Podcast is Ian McNabb. Ian, welcome. It's great to be speaking with you today. Thanks. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, uh, Ian, let's go ahead and get uh, started on this this discussion here with you. I, I understand that you first picked up your guitar at 12 after seeing Mark Bolin on Top of the Pops. Uh, Who were some of your other influences growing up? When I was growing up, I was was an Apollo child, you know. I was um, that age when when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, you know, allegedly. (laughs) Um, That's kind of what I was into, and I was into English football, what you guys call soccer. Um, and I didn't. I wasn't really into music that much. I, I was into movies and books, football. Kind of thought pop music was a bit silly because whenever I was exposed to it, I'd kind of walk past the radio or we'd be in a store somewhere, and you'd hear. Uh, Last night I heard my mama singing a song. Ooh, chirpy, chirpy, cheap, cheap, or um, you know. What, what else would you, you know, uh, I'd like to buy the world a Coke, you know, like it was just all naff. It didn't, it didn't hit me. And then uh, it was probably about 1972. I would have been 11, um, coming on 12. And my parents were flicking through the stations, kind of deciding what to watch. And uh, a show we have had over here called Top of the Pops came on. And uh, Mark Bolan and T-Rex were on there doing, I can't remember whether it was Metal Guru or Get It On, or it was one of those great early cuts. And I just went, wow, what the heck is this, you know? And uh, it just, I didn't know what was going on, but I just knew something was. And uh, and then I, I started, you know, then I had a new thing. Then you could go into secondhand record stores pick up 45s for next to nothing. It was a great time. You know, to be a music fan. Um, just the beginning of the 70s. What a great time that was. And then, you know, I slowly bought up, I, you know, I've started buying the Beatles albums in reverse, which was a pretty freaky experience. You know, the first Beatles album I got was Let It Be. I mean, what the hell do you make of that, you know? Um, so, yeah, but he was the catalyst. 
Then, of course, I got caught up in it all. Bowie, uh, Gary Glitter. I know we're not allowed to mention him anymore. Um, right the way he was in Joker, wasn't it? Do, 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 do. So then I got into all of that. But my my dad was very methodical. He was um, he was actually a taxi driver. Um, with these taxis we have here, black taxis. It was like a really professional taxi driver, you know. He wasn't just doing it to earn a few bob. But everything had to be done very methodically. And uh, he said, well, listen, son, if you're going to learn to play the guitar, you got to do it properly. So the ergo, classically, you know, writing, the, you know, no messing about. Uh, so I, so I, I learned classical guitar and um, and theory and went to college uh, every Saturday morning. And then I went to music college full time. So it became a thing. You kind of started out with the band Icicle Works, where probably most of our listeners recognize you from. Did having success right out of the gate with Whisper to a Scream, how did that affect you? Well, we, first of all, I didn't start with Icicle Works. It, I was 12. So what started was me learning the instrument and then playing what we have in the UK called Working Men's Clubs, where you basically cover, cover you do cover versions. So I was in a couple of covers bands for about five or six years and then um, saw another Liverpool band, Echo and the Bunnymen, on a local TV show playing their own songs and getting they were on TV, you know. So it was like, wow, this looks way more interesting, you know, because we, we were kind of being a cover band. It was a, it was a good way to make money when you were young and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, you do a gig grab a couple of birds, go home, have some money. It's great. But it, it didn't really, it, it didn't look like it was going to carry you into a, a, a golden future. So I stopped doing all that and then started writing songs, formed Icicle Works. That was 1980, I believe. Um, so Whispers to a Scream, Birds Fly was such a huge hit for the Icicle Works. In some ways, it kind of eclipsed other incredible songs like Understanding Jane and a couple of my personal favorites, Blind and Evangeline. Was that frustrating or just kind of part of the music game? Well, you know what? It, it wasn't um, it, it wasn't really that big a hit. What, what it was, it, it was a turntable hit, you know. It like that was the track that everybody loved off that record. I think we were with the wrong record label. It, it was basically it was like the second English invasion, and all the American record companies were signing Brit British bands, and we got offered a couple of deals which I think would have been much more beneficial to us in the long run. But you know we didn't have the final say. Our UK record company did, so we went with Arista because they offered the most money. And they were the biggest company and blah, blah, blah. So they kind of just threw everything at that track. And it was it was everywhere, but it wasn't really a over-the-counter people buying a hit. It was just every time you turn the radio on, it was on. And then they couldn't find another cut on, on the album that they thought was a suitable follow-up. So it's like, okay, guys, we're going to leave this now and we're going to wait for the next album. 
so we went and did an, an another album, second album, with this guy called Wally Brill, an American guy. So the, the American record company had an influence there, and I didn't get on with him. And we had all kinds of arguments. And when we turned the second record in to Arista, an album called Small Price of a Bicycle, they said it, sound, it sounded like punk rock demos. So that record never came out. So we lost. So we just concentrated on Europe. And we, we went back to Canada, where we were doing very well, and the rest of the world, UK. And we didn't tour America you know, for another 18 months, and we didn't really tour. We just did little drop-pop-in gigs. So I think we lost a lot of momentum there. And then you're talking about Understanding Jane, which came out in, I think, was about 86, 87. And you know how it is in the in the, the business. Uh, six months is a hell of a long time not, not to have a record out, um, unless you're Peter Gabriel, you know, just about to release his... His, uh, his first album in 21 years. Nice one, mm-hmm. Peter. You know, it's something that, that, that bothered me for a while. I think we could have made a much bigger dent in America. But there's still good people like yourselves who want to talk to me. And thanks to the internet, my, my, my stuff still gets, you know, you can still get my stuff. You know, you don't have to walk into a specific record store in America and not find an Ian McNabb record because, first of all, there's no record stores anyway. You know, with Icicle Works, uh, you were, like, you know, we could say you're part of the new wave scene, uh, but you've never really followed uh, one musical spot style, especially as a solo artist. And despite being from Liverpool, I've, I've always felt your music was very Americana. Am I way off there? No, you you you're way on. Um, <laughs> I, my 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 taste was always incredibly eclectic. The most new wave thing that we ever did was the first album, and and that was a deliberate. You know, we we really were conscious about we, we couldn't just have a song going boom dap boom da. It had to be do it 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 do it. You know, I I I thought we were more like Rush. Than a, than a new wave band. I mean, I didn't really know the music of Rush at the time. Whenever I, I see Rush, it's, it's really strange that Nirvana and Rush, when I got into them, I just saw so many parallels between Icicle Works, through, uh, Power Trio, uh, you know, there's lots of similarities, lots of showing off, much better musicians and singers than they let on they are. That's certainly the case with Nirvana. And, you know, I like all kinds of music. I, I, I wasn't going to go and, when we did the second album, I wasn't going to go and do another song that went dooba dabba dooba dabba dooba dabba dooba dabba because it would just sound like whisper to a scream but wouldn't be as good, you know. So, um, yeah, I've got very eclectic taste, which has made it pretty impossible to kind of market what I do. I mean, you, you just said Americana there. I, I I tend to think of myself as, you know, my my equivalent, if if you will, in America would probably be somewhere across between Jeff Tweedy, Mark Lanigan, and uh, Ryan Adams. Hmm. You hmm. know, it it doesn't really get country, but it it's got that kind of rural thing about it. So I I, I I'm happy with that. Well, are there any American artists uh, that you're especially fond of? 
Well, it'd be a lot quicker if we do what I'm not fond of. You know? <laughs> I mean, I can tell you guys just from the, the mere fact that you're doing a show like this, you guys are crazy geeks. You're nuts. <laughs> and I'm the same. And I have to limit myself with the amount of time that I devote to it because I, I make so many records now. Mm-hmm. Because I'm largely due to the fact that I put a studio in during lockdown, as a lot of artists did. Now I can just go downstairs and crank them out, you know? So uh, I, I don't have to plan for it. I just go, hey, I've got an idea for a tune. So um, I, I do try and spend as much time as possible um, absorbing new music. But but when I, you know, when I sit down to listen to something, it usually tends to be by somebody that I, I really like already. Mm-hmm because I know I'm going to I'm only going to have a certain amount of time or it tends to be a new album that I haven't heard by somebody that is in the same genre as as somebody that I like you know? Well, you know, you kind of just mentioned this, but uh, you've been really busy, especially since 2010. I counted seven albums, uh, Utopia and Ascending in 2021 alone. Uh, what sparked this surge of creativity? When it was coming up to the 20th album and I was going to turn 60, I wanted to do a proper bona fide double album with 20 tracks on it, five tracks each side of vinyl. And uh, so that made me think I've got to write more songs because the way you get great songs is to write too many. The way that you get filler is to not write enough, you know. So that's what I did. And then, and then all the COVID thing happened, and I, I didn't want the record. I didn't want any record coming out with 2020 written on it, because I think we all just wanted to forget that year. And then, as it happens, 2021 turned out to be a, a pretty rubbish year, also. Um, but like I say, because I've got the equipment here now, and um, I've got an engineer who lives just over the water, I'll come up with a few ideas, send them over to him. He'll have a mess around, send them back. Here's idea. I'll be back. I don't even need to go out of the door to make a record. So that's definitely made me make more music, you know. Well, let's jump into your most recent album, 2020 or 2022's Nabby Road. I would say this album to me sounds kind of unlike anything that you've done to this point. It has a wow. tempo and vibe all to its own. What can you tell us that, that went into recording this album? Oh, thank you for saying that. I'll take that as a compliment. I do like that. It's um, it's a strange on this because I I didn't really uh, think about it too much. I wrote about 15, 16 songs. Uh, all the previous albums had been, apart from Ascending, that one, which is re-records of Icicle Works demos from 1980. Uh, they've all been... They've all had running times of over an hour. Uh, and I just thought, you know what? Just make a 40-minute album, 20 minutes aside. That's, I think that's the best way for people to digest music. You've got so much to get through. Oh, look, there's all this stuff coming in, and there's the new Ian McNabb album. 20 tracks, it runs for an hour and a half. Do you know what? I'll get round to that over Christmas, New Year. <laughs> 40 minutes, great. Stick it on in the car. Um and one thing that was happening was 
and I'd, like I say, I had my studio just installed, and a, a very good friend. A lot of a lot of our friends are dying. We're in that time now, and a couple of my friends died, and I, I was trying not to write about it, but inevitably it ended up going into the music. So I started writing a couple of songs, but I didn't want them to be uh, negative or maudlin. I wanted to wanted them to be celebratory, rebirth, uh, beginning again, you know, trying to stay positive and all of that stuff. And then, strangely enough, just as I started, I was halfway through the album, and my mum passed away. Wow. So then it became something else altogether. Yeah. But I, like I say, I didn't want it to be a... Um, awake, you know. So there's a thematic thing to it. Um, it's it's not a concept album by any stretch of the imagination, but I do feel that the, um, as you quite rightly said, that the songs seem to have a flow to them, and I think the running order is really important. What I really love about Nabby Road is that it starts with a, a three-minute instrumental track called Casalito. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because that's the very first place where Icicle Works landed when we went to America. We played in Sausalito and we were staying at a place called, uh, I think it was the Altamira. And I, I was, you know, we had jet lag, blah, 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 the usual thing. I was up before everybody else. And I walked down the hill to the bay. It's a very beautiful place, Sausalito. Well, it's kind of run down a bit now. <laughs> to anybody who hasn't been there it would look impressive to anyone who's from where i'm from you know what i mean um and i just saw this guy sitting on the steps stroking a, a an english sheepdog and uh i'd never been to america before and the first thing i noticed was that everybody was saying hi to me which kind of unnerved me <laughs> hi how are you doing whoa <laughs> anyway so this guy says hey how are you doing and it was michael douglas the actor Oh. And so then I just thought, well, everyone I'm going to meet in America is going to be famous. <laughs> and I wasn't far off, to be honest with you. Um, everybody's been in a cop show or something, you know, especially in California. Uh, anyway, so Sausalito is about starting again. It's, it's like that's where we started. And so I put the noise of the waves and all of that. And, it, and then the last track on the album is called Start Again which is a reference to, you know, now that my mother's no longer with us, to reorganising and moving forward into the next chapter, what have you. Yeah, I saw that uh, in the liner notes, and I, I, I assume that was your mother, and I'm I, sorry to hear that for you. Um, one of the album highlights for me is the song Film Noir Star, dropping classic noir names like Sterling Hayden, Lauren Bacall, and Lucky Strikes. Plus, the saxophone really creates the atmosphere. Tell us a little bit more about that song. Oh, I'm so glad that you pointed that one out. That's my favorite. I love it. Um, Well, in the 70s in the UK, I mean, we only had three TV stations uh, we eventually got a fourth one in the 80s. God, you guys must think that's bizarre. <laughs> but we used to have, uh, um, on BBC Two, um, usually around about 10.30 on a, a on a Wednesday night, they'd always have these film noir, you know, things with like Edward G. Robinson, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, St- Sterling Hayden, 
Uh-huh. Richard Goodmark, you know, those guys that, that you mentioned. And, you know, I used to absolutely adore those films. And everybody spoke over everybody else. You couldn't hear what anybody was saying. Hey, babe, what are you doing? Everybody's smoking. Everybody lit two, <laughs> everybody's smoking two cigarettes. And then, you know, when you'd start talking to a dame, you'd light her a cigarette and pass it to her. And you couldn't see them for smoke. No. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and it was always rainy and cold and, they were usually in in the Florida Keys, or you know, I don't know. I just, I just love all that stuff, and I thought I've never written a song about that. And you get to you know you use name. I don't think I've heard Sterling Hayden's name mentioned in in a song. Lauren Bacall, <laughs> and they always mention Bogart and stuff. But yeah, I love that, and um, and also you know um, Chevrolet Bel Air. When we got to um, when we got to the states in '84, I was so pissed off because, you know, in the '70s and the early '80s, we'd see all those classic American cars, like the Lincoln Continental and, you know, the Shelby Mustang and, you know, that thing that Steve McQueen drove in Bullet and mm. all of that stuff. And then we, when we turned up, you all had the same cars that we had over here. They're all, you know, Peugeots and Japanese cars and and it was so disappointing. There was no fins, so uh, so I was glad I, I got to name check a Lincoln and a, a Chevrolet Bel Air. Well, Ian, each track on Nabby Road, like I said, is very unique, and I love how it, it has its own flavor or own vibe for you. Pretty much each song or each song is kind of done in a different tempo, different type of style. Sure. But one that I especially loved that kind of threw me out through a loop the first time I heard it was the song Guest List. With its witty lyrics, with the kind of the rockabilly country tempo, just worked perfectly. Does it get tiresome having everyone ask you to put you on the guest list? Well, I mean that's something that when you when you start, <laughs> you want to put people on the guest list because you know if you sold a bunch of tickets to a show, if you sold a lot of tickets, and then there's loads of people want to go on the guest list, you're like, yeah, get them in because it'll look like we're even bigger, you know. <laughs> And, and if you haven't sold any tickets, you're like, do you want to get on the guest list? You know, so it looks like you're selling tickets. And then as you get older, it kind of gets a bit old, all that. And then all of a sudden, you're too old to party after the show anyway. So you so you just say, yeah, I'll see you after the gig, man. But uh, it doesn't really happen much these days because everybody I know is is too old to go out, including me. You know, I mean, the only reason I go to gigs is because I've got to play one. Yeah, <laughs> you're required to be there. <laughs> I can't cope with the stairs, toilets, and bloody wait for the drink. And oh man, no, it's a busman's holiday for me. All that. Yeah, guest list was um, a couple of people didn't like it, and then I noticed oh. it's the most played track on on Spotify off the album. It's very much like a JJ Kale thing, you know. Yeah. Oh, I, it's like it's probably my favorite song on the album. I absolutely love it. It's so too, hummable and foot tapping. Two, two, two minutes long, that yeah. many lyrics. Yeah, yeah. they work perfectly. <laughs> so you kind of mentioned uh, about recording during the pandemic. Um, you, did you record this album remotely, or were you able to have other artists in the studio with you? Well, what I did was, and this seems to be the way it works now. I'll get a click track going. I'll put down a couple of guitars. I'll do a vocal. I won't put too much on it. 
and I'll send it send it to my uh, producer stroke engineer Kieran, and he'll go, "Yeah, what about this?" And we we, we like to use real drums, so then we'll go into a, a proper studio for just for a day, and we'll get a guy in to play drums, and you know they're always great players, so they usually cut every track in in a in a day, and then we so we've got everything. And then I can get people around. But what happens now is, for instance, on um, on the Utopian record, I'm uh, very good friends with a guy called Jason Faulkner, who used to be in Jellyfish, now plays with uh, Beck. Oh. He lives out in L.A. And, you know, back in the day, it'd be, hey, come over to the U.K., man. We'll hang out and you put some put down some bass parts or I'll come over to you. You know, an excuse for a, a bit of a holiday, really. But now you just send them the files, they put the instruments on, send them back to you. Sounds incredible. You know, it, it does nothing really. The, the sound is as great as it could be. Uh, you know, maybe if you actually recorded on tape, it'd be better. But nobody can really do that anymore. It's impractical and, and prohibitively expensive. Yeah. So he, he ended up playing bass on three tracks on Utopian. So you don't even need to be in the same room. The only time that we were all in the same room is when we were doing the drums. Ah, okay. And we didn't really have anything to say to each other because we talk <laughs> on social media all the time. Well, so that kind of leaves a follow-up question that I have. It's kind of a two-parter in a way. Um, another, a, a number of other artists that we musicians that we've talked to say that they've been doing albums remotely long before the pandemic. Is that the case with you? No. <laughs> no, I, I, I no, of course not. No, I, I'd, I'd frown against all that. Whenever anybody said to me, because I, I have quite a big, big place here. But you know what? You should put a studio in downstairs, man. It's all set up there. And because I had one about, I've been in this house about thirty years, and I had a sixteen-track studio downstairs thirty years ago. And my memories of that are: um, first of all, you wake up and you go, "Oh God." I've got no excuse not to work today. And, and because it was all on tape in those days, you'd spend most of the time trying to work out why it didn't sound right because there's so many things that can go wrong with tape. Whereas when you're on digital, I mean, come on, you know, you can make an album on your phone. It's insane. Yeah. But, you know, so so no, I, I wouldn't have that. But I got, I, I got the studio put in during lockdown. And... It was a silly assumption for me to say that because I don't wake up and go, oh, God, I've got no excuse. I'll have to go and record. I just go, I mean, I have one rule. I won't go in there unless I've got a song written. What I won't do is start p putting loops up and jamming and mm. just fucking about because you just go on for ages. Unless you've got a song, don't turn it on. So I would assume then that that means that uh, that you would rather be in a studio with a number of musicians collaborating than doing stuff remotely. No, I can't stand people, and I'm glad that I don't have to associate with them anymore. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I believe you on that. Have you seen uh, <laughs> Have you seen Charlton Heston and the Amiga Man? Mm -hmm. That's me. Oh, <laughs> uh, Ian, me and. Me and T-Bone have kind of shared with you some tracks that stood out to us on Navi Road. For our listeners, though, is there any track in particular that maybe stood out to you that you would recommend that they uh, pick up and jump into? Well, we mentioned um, Film Noir Star. It's a favorite of mine. 
I'm very, very fond of a track called Amazing, mm. uh, which is the first track on, on side two, which has got a very kind of REM kind of guitar lick, one of those things that Peter Buck used to do. I'm very fond of that one. And also, I've always wanted to really have a crack at conjuring up that same kind of flavour that uh, Joe Boyd did with Nick Drake on, uh, on that Five Leaves Left record. So that the song um, "The Sun Came Out at Nine is is a big favorite of mine as well. Nice. So, Ian, it came to my attention that you have another album coming out this year, New Brighton yeah. Rock. What can you tell? What can, what can we expect from that one? What happened here was um, I said to Kieran, my producer, "Why don't you? Um, I'm really good at writing top line stuff over found music." So I said, why don't you come up with some ideas, some soundscapes, whatever, that you like, just the music, and I'll try and write some melody and lyrics over it. So that's what we've done with this. Kieran's oh. um, written all of the music. Oh, he hasn't written all of the music. He's written the backing tracks, and I've done the melody and the the lyrics, and it's worked out really great. And it, also what I do like about it is it's taken me out of my you know comfort zone for a, a better way of describing it. You know, some of the tunes, I don't even know what key they're in, but I'm singing over them. So it felt a bit like, you know, just me being a singer going in and singing on somebody else's session. But then there's loads of guitars on it and stuff, and it's, it's just a little bit different. So we're, we're about 70 80% through that. So hopefully that's going to be finished uh, within the, in the next few weeks, and we'll get that out before the end of the year. Well, for myself, I can say that I am very much looking forward to that. You've worked with many friends and artists from Ringo Starr, Ian Brody and Lightning Seeds, Mike Scott with the Waterboys, and on the Wild Swans' highly underrated album, Space Flower. Is, yeah. there, an artist that, <laughs> is there an artist that you haven't worked with that you'd like to? I would have always, I always was, I'm a really great fan of Mark Hollis from Talk Talk. I would have liked to have done something with him. Huge fan of Echo and the Bunny Men. I would have liked to have done something with Will Sargent, the guitar player from the Bunny Men, but um, I don't want to break that family up. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's lots of people that, I, that I'd like to collaborate with, but it's just a case about how it works, you know. And I'd like it, like I said, I spend so much time doing my own stuff. I, I wouldn't say that I was a great team player, you know, that which is why I didn't have a band for very long. Because when somebody starts saying, well, that's really great. Well, I've got a couple of ideas. I'm like, okay, see you tomorrow, guys. You know? <laughs> Can't help it. So, but but, but work, working this way with, with my friend Kieran's been great. But he knows that, you know, it just if I don't like it, it just won't happen. So I'm not, I'm not being a team player. I'm saying, let's be a team, but I'm in charge of the team. You're in charge. Absolutely. <laughs> So it looks like you're touring the UK ex, uh, ex, extensively throughout this year. Is there any chance we might ever see you uh, tour the States? Well, do you know what? It, it's just, I have actually been offered a few things in the States. And um, first of all, the, the, the work visas. So work visas are so expensive. Uh, it's just the economics of it make, make it very difficult It'd probably be possible for me to come over there and, and use a, a, an American band, which I've looked into. Um, but nothing's really 
lit me up so far. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I mean, I'm 63 this year, but I feel great. Uh, I can still stand on stage for two hours and I can still go, we are, we are, we are. <laughs> Debatable from that. Um, but I don't really know, you know. And also, I'll be honest with you, I've n- never really been a, a big fan of touring. I, 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 you know, if you look at my dates, I go out and play weekends and they're all UK. And, I'm, you know, it's just as a, out of kindness to oneself. You know, there's such an enormous amount of anxiety and hassle with travel, especially now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of, Spending two days in in a in airports to get to a little gig in Dortmund to play to two hundred people. No, I'd rather watch a movie. You know. <laughs> well, Ian, let's finish things off here. Um, next year, twenty twenty four, we're going to be hitting the fortieth anniversary of Icicle Works' first album. Is there any chance for a reunion tour? It's going to be how many? 40? 40, 40 years. Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> well, do you know what? I still speak to the guys. Um, Chris Shorrock, the drummer, is currently plays in no- Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. And he said to me almost every time I speak to him, don't ask me to do all that again. Because it's all... He goes, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. He goes, when I'm playing with Noel Gallagher, it's all... But, you know, I don't know. I mean, if somebody wants to offer me a bunch of money, bring it on. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you, like on your social medias, um, best way to get your music? Uh, t- the, uh, my Twitter, well, there's the ianmcnab.com. My website is pretty active. And um, and all the links to like Twitter and Facebook are on there. So if you just go to uh, my my Twitter handle is at Empire's End. So thankful for you being on the podcast with us today. We really appreciate it. Um, we wish you the best of luck in your future and the upcoming album. Hope it's a huge success. And uh, yeah, you know, I know that you'll have at least a couple of fans over here if you ever want to come and see us stateside. Thanks for caring, guys. Really appreciate your time. Once again, we'd really like to express our thanks for Ian McNabb coming on the New Wave Music Podcast to shed some light on his solo career his new album, Life in General. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed that and really want to get out and pick up his album. And on our next full review episode, we're going to be finally jumping into the newest album from Depeche Mode. Right. And then also we will be looking at, and and you did maybe did not know that they were still around, but we have uh, the review for the most recent from The Reflex. And don't forget, you can always find us on social media. Pretty much on anything, just look for New Wave Music Podcast. Drop us a line if you have an album that you think we'd like. Drop it to us. We're also looking into restarting up our new artist spotlight. So if you have any of your new favorite bands you think we might want to check out, drop the, drop us a line as well. Yeah. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, send them to new wave music podcast at yahoo.com. We really appreciate you listening and we'll look forward to you the next time. Mm-hmm.